Here we go, a few verses starting from, well actually part way through verse 6, it's the next chunk. Uh, in my Bible it's entitled, uh, Jesus sends out the twelve, it might be something similar uh, in yours. We've just seen last time, Jesus returned to his hometown and people took offence at him and this picks up the thread uh, thereon. It says this, then Jesus went round teaching from village to village Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out, two by two, and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is uh, a a key moment in Jesus' ministry so far. A, A turning point, if you like, or we're about to head into a new phase Um, in Jesus' ministry with his disciples. The the disciples, or in particular the 12 disciples, because uh, Jesus had loads of disciples, loads of people were uh, were following him, but he um, he, he picked out 12 who would be his apostles, which we'll look at in a moment, and for a while now they've been with him, and uh, and now we see in this verse they've been travelling from village to village with Jesus. It seems like Jesus would spend some occasions uh, by the Sea of Galilee or in Capernaum and a massive crowd would gather. But that wasn't all that Jesus was doing. So he has these big moments of, um, of gathering a massive crowd. There are other times when he goes from place to place. He's, he's the one traveling rather than expecting people to come to him all the time. He wants to get where people are. Uh, some people aren't going to be able to gather, but he wants to go and find them. So he's traveling from village to village, and now this key moment has come because the time has come to send the 12 out. Uh, in, in pairs, six groups of two, I make that, uh, going uh, to lots of different places. This is kind of a logical next step um, in all that Jesus was doing. And we're going to look through this passage, we're going to see uh, three things that Jesus did, and we're going to look at three, um, three responses or three ways of seeing what the disciples, or the, the twelve as they're called, uh, were like. So three things about Jesus. Firstly, well, quite simply, Jesus sends the twelve. Verse 7, calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two, gave them authority over evil spirits. Now this was always the plan. The twelve have been with him. We've seen this in, uh, in Mark chapter 3 verse 13. We see there the moment where Jesus went up on a mountainside, called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles or sent ones, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So that was always the plan. This twofold idea that Jesus would gather them, they'd spend time with him, and they'd watch what he did, 
They'd listen to what he'd said. They'd learn from what they observed. And in the process, they would be getting ready. So they were gathered to him, watching, listening, learning, waiting. And then the time had come now for them to be released, to be, uh, to be sent. That was always part of the plan. But the story so far is a bit interesting. I would describe uh, the disciples, even up to this point, as a bit of a mixed bag. What do you think they would be given if they, were, if they received a, a mid-term or end-of-term school report from Jesus? I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jesus didn't operate in those ways and kind of say, you know, get, give you this grade for your attainment and another grade for your, uh, your effort. That's how it worked out for me in class. Um, one grade for actually how well you did and another grade for how much effort it looked like you were putting in. Um, and uh, I won't tell you or bore you with the details of what grades I got or how I missed the mark. Anyway, um, what grade would you give the disciples up until uh, this point? Or what score... Um, yeah, do they get an A, do they get a B, do they get a C? Well, they are a mixed bag, good guys. Some of them just from, a, from an ordinary, very hands-on uh, way of life. So we saw in chapter 1, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee and he called Simon and his brother Andrew. They were fishermen. Uh, they go and get James and John as well. So hard-working guys. Um, uh, and perhaps some of them had been following John the Baptist already. So, yeah, they had some understanding about what God uh, was doing at the time. But as we kind of go on, we see other, other aspects. Um, Jesus has just uh, been healing a lot of people. And later on in chapter 1, in verse 37, at that point, Jesus has gone alone to go and pray. The disciples say, look, come on, everyone's looking for you. So Jesus is prioritizing one thing, getting alone and praying, and his newfound followers are saying, no, you should be doing something else. You should be coming uh, back to where all the people are, um, right at that point in time. So maybe just misunderstanding a little bit Jesus' priorities at that particular point. Obviously, he did spend loads of time with people, but he needed to get alone and be with his father. I think, well, that's kind of quite early on. Fair enough. Those were early days. But what about chapter 4, verse 10? Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching some parables. uh, The parable of the sower, or the soils, as we looked at. And uh, in chapter 4, verse 10, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. Because they didn't understand. And that's what Jesus says to them just a few verses later in verse 13. Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How will you understand any parable? It's like, even you guys don't quite get it. A little bit later on, uh, they're caught up in a massive storm. Now granted, the storm was bigger than they'd experienced before. It was frightening. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. And so these experienced fishermen are scared witless. And so in chapter 4, verse 38, the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They cry out to him. Now later on, or just literally the next moment, when they see Jesus calm the storm and bring complete stillness 
to the waters, it says in verse 41 of chapter 4, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They were calling him teacher, but they didn't really know who he was. Who are we dealing with? We don't understand who this guy is. Um, And we could probably go further on uh, as well and looking at what happened in uh, in chapter 5. And verse 31, someone reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak in order to be healed. Jesus doesn't know who that person is or what's happened, but he knows that power's gone out of him. Someone's touched me, Jesus says. Well, the disciples, really supernaturally aware at this point. Well, you see the people crowding against you in chapter 5, verse 31. And yet you can ask, who touched me? Oh, come on, Jesus, be be real. What, What are you going on about? And that's only in the previous chapter. So what grade would you give the disciples for their understanding? Did they understand Jesus' message? Well, I'm not giving them an A. What would you like to give them? You may call out at this point. C minus? C plus? Anyone else? Okay, kind of D, right, okay. Who knows, I don't think Jesus, anyway, let's move on because we'll waste time. Um, I don't think they understood his message. I'm not sure they understood his methods. I don't don't think they understood his might, his power. And I don't think they understood, I think it's pretty clear they didn't understand yet, that he was the Messiah, or what it meant that he was the Messiah. So do you think that they were ready to be sent out? Do you think that they felt ready? Now, actually, some of them may have done. Peter, for example, may have felt ready. The, he, he, always ready to kind of put his foot in it and take the next step in that way. So some might f- have felt bold and courageous, but time would reveal they didn't understand it all. Others might have felt timid. Uh, maybe they understood a bit more. Um, than the bold, courageous ones. But actually, they don't yet, they don't yet look trained up. They don't yet look Christ-like to every uh, extent. Are we ready? Are we ever ready? Do we ever feel ready for what God has called us to uh, in his commission to be involved on this planet in making uh, disciples of people who don't yet know him. Do we feel ready to share our faith? Uh, do we feel ready to pray for the sick? Uh, do we feel ready for a new way of serving within the church or outside? It's not all about what happens uh, in a room like this. The disciples didn't look ready to me. One commentator says the time of initial teaching is over. Now, Despite all their limitations, they are to put into practice uh, what they've understood by telling others. We live in such a performance-driven society where we can just think that actually you've got to make the grade first. You've got to become kind of outstanding in your field and then you can go. Then you can do. Then it's okay for someone to kind of really put their hand on you and, and put their mark on you. Say, you, you, you've, you've made it, you've qualified, we want you to go and share what you've understood. So if a school 
is visited by Ofsted and the school is given the grade outstanding. Um, this happened to our, uh, the primary school that we're attacked. I don't actually go to it personally. Um, but the, the, the family school that we're kind of connected to, um, the school that we're connected to as a family, uh, got that grade recently. Brilliant. And they were, they were encouraged, well, perhaps now you can explore international links. Because you've really made it, you've got something to share. Uh, so that's something that you could develop. I had a classmate at school, um, and he's very unassuming, but he happened to be a world expert in his particular martial art. And prize giving got really entry- interesting when he got up onto the stage to demonstrate what he could do. It's a little bit weird um, to know that somebody in your class could do that and actually went over to the Czech Republic to train the police in how to restrain and arrest people better. It's like, you what? This is madness. Um, But you're outstanding, you're an expert, you've done really well, you've got the top grade and so you can go because you're ready and you've kind of got something that's worth sharing. And we can kind of project that onto God's kingdom and say, well, you can go uh, when you're fully trained up. I need to be more trained. I need to have more understanding Well, is that what it is to be in God's kingdom? I don't think it is. I don't think God is necessarily as interested as we are in how ready we feel. We don't have to be outstanding or great or experts, but available to be used, however God sees fit. These guys were being sent to represent Jesus, to go to a village and represent Jesus' message and his mission, even to demonstrate his might, because they'd be involved in praying for people, uh, which we'll look at a little bit later as well. Making disciples is what we're also called to. Now, you think, well, did, did Moses feel ready? Did Esther feel ready? Did Isaiah feel ready? Isaiah was utterly ruined. Isaiah, when he encountered God... And if you like, was, was sent by God with a message from him um, to share with others. I don't think he felt ready. And for some reason, Isaiah has disappeared. So perhaps it could just go up on the screen. And we'll have Isaiah chapter 6 um, and verse 8 or thereabouts. Isaiah has had this profound encounter, profound vision of God in the temple. His conclusion in that is, I'm ruined. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And I've seen the king. And uh, I will look for it too. <laughs> I'll race you. <laughs> um, I don't know why it's gone. I need a church. I should know where it is. <laughs> okay. Please be honest. Right, here we go. He says, woe is me, I cried in Isaiah 6 verse 5. I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I'm trying to find an expert, trying to find someone fully trained up. Is he? 
Having been utterly ruined by God, having God deal with his sin, Isaiah says, here am, here am I, send me. Isaiah made himself available. I don't know exactly what's going to be involved, but yes is the answer. How you see fit, use me. So Jesus sends the twelve. The disciples, whether they're ready or not, actually make themselves available and say yes. And that's, what's, that's God's call on our life too. Making ourselves available rather than waiting to feel ready. What else does Jesus do? He instructs the twelve. Uh, we see this in the following uh, verses. Firstly, he kind of instructs uh, them in what to do and, uh, or what to take and what not to take. Verses 8 and 9. And then in verses 10 and 11, how to behave and how not to behave. Um, so we can see, we might just focus on what they're to take. Well, not very much. They are allowed simply to take a staff, the clothes on their back, and the sandals on their feet. Jesus says, don't take any bread. Don't take anything to eat. Don't take any bag or any money. Don't take anything by which you can acquire other stuff. You're just to go simply and to uh, then experience and trust God for hospitality that would sustain them. So this was not comfortable. They weren't to look for the coziest place to stay, kind of land in one person's house. Well, thank you for having us. Um, but we've just spotted somewhere a bit better over here. It's like going from the Premier Inn to the Hilton. And it's been so nice. But now we're staying in the same village, but we're going to have a, a more comfortable experience elsewhere. Well, that wasn't what they were called to at all, nor would they even be welcomed in every place for the disciples then going from village to village they had no obvious visible means of support Um, now sometimes in things like sports relief uh, or other charitable uh, organizations and causes a celebrity undertakes an absolutely epic challenge Um, so, for sports relief, in 2006, David Walliams swam the English Channel. He'd never done that before. Um, a few years later, in 2009, Eddie Izzard, a slightly tubby comedian, um, having never run a marathon before, or never really been into running, um, with a few months' training, managed to run 43 marathons in 51 days. And uh, more recently, last year, uh, Davina McCall... Managed under her own steam, a lot of running and a lot of cycling and a little bit of swimming, to travel 500 miles from Edinburgh to London in seven days. Quite amazing. But often when you see the, 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 the kind of camera footage um, of what's happening, it's all them, so credit to them, but they, they've kind of got a support team. And so if they're, if they're kind of cycling on the bike... There's someone in a support vehicle behind. Uh, and, and perhaps if the bike gets a puncture, another bike is brought out. Right, there you go, have that, right, on your way. Uh, if they got on to bother, uh, they've got um, a medic, uh, a physio, um, a trainer, and kind of lots of kind of morale building stuff. And they've got all the kits, and everything's there. A very visible support team 
hovering in the background or right alongside them. So if it all goes wrong, the support team is there. Well, whatever happens, I'll be safe. The disciples were being sent with no obvious visible support team. No obvious kind of provisions or backup. If the bike busts, here you go. We've brought extra, we've got extra stuff um, with us to help you on your journey. Jesus acknowledged this was not going to be an easy time. In Matthew 10 verse 16, when the kind of instructions that he was given, uh, giving them, uh, recorded there, Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Cosmic, thank you so much. What normally happens when a wolf eats a sheep? Uh, Anyway, let's not ponder that too long. Um, So Jesus is trying to, on this first occasion, is teach them and train them even as they go. As you go, as I send you, you need to be most aware of who is your support team and who you are relying on. So actually it's not food that you can take with you. It's not all your extra kits that you can take with you. It's not your money. It's not your resources. For us, it's not mum and dad. It's okay because if I step out, I get bailed out. If something goes wrong, it's okay because actually it's a safe scenario. Um, Everything's kind of sorted. Um, I can step out because there's no risk involved. But Jesus is saying that actually this is risky. There's an element of danger to what I'm asking you to do. So take nothing extra with you. Sounds totally balmy. But he's saying, are you willing to trust God? Actually, that's what Jesus was doing. Seeing what the Father did, trusting the Father for provision, trusting the Father for miracles. Actually, the support for the disciples is there. It's just invisible. And perhaps also unpredictable. It's not all sewn up beforehand with months and months of practical preparation. Uh, well, it's going to go well because I've saved up. It's, it's going to go well because of what, I, what resources I've got. It's, no, God, it, well, is God our safety net? Or are we trusting in our own provisions? I've just been so encouraged recently by Proverbs 3. And I'll try and find this one too. Bingo. Um, Proverbs 3 and verse 5 and 6. Book packed full of wisdom. Well, here's some for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Now, I wonder if for the disciples, the path wasn't straight, but as they walked, as they obeyed, as they went, they encountered God's help, God's support, God making the way clear. What are, we, what are we leaning on? The proverb there is saying, trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Don't lean on your own understanding. We're to lean on God with all our, with all our hearts. He's our support. He's our safety net if you like 
So Jesus sends the 12, Jesus instructs the 12, and what can we say of the disciples? The disciples, whilst they have limited understanding, not only make themselves available, they are willing to trust. What's going to happen? They're going to go from village to village to village. If something doesn't work out well in one village, they're to leave it and go find another one. The only way was forward in that sense, rather than kind of a retreat back to safety. No, we're going to encounter, we're going to trust God to provide what we need as we move forward, rather than as we shrink back. Time for, for consolidating. Well, that's moved on. This is a time for learning by doing and by going. What does Jesus also do? Thirdly, Jesus does provide. Jesus does equip. He equips the 12. He provides for the 12. Now, we may have been thinking, well, okay, but we've just looked at all the things that Jesus said, well, you can't take. Is he just mean? No. Here's what Jesus did give the 12 as he sent them out. Here's what they did receive, what they did need. A couple of things. Firstly, we're told authority. Uh, Again, jumping back to verse 7. Calling the 12 to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. That's what they would need. As though Jesus was saying, I recognize you as my apostles. Therefore, Evil spirits will recognize me in what you're doing and saying. I'm putting my mark on you. You can carry my badge, if you like, as you, as you go from place to place. He delegated authority to them. He was sending them um, and equipping them to do what he'd asked them to do. Secondly, what did he also provide Well, he provided every disciple with a companion, sending them out two by two. Have a look at some more scripture I will struggle to find. Ecclesiastes and verse uh, chapter four, verse nine. Uh, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Sometimes this passage is referred to uh, in weddings. Um, well, it can be applied to marriage, but this is not primarily about marriage. This is about friendship, support. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So that's what we're seeing there in Ecclesiastes. We're kind of seeing demonstrated here um, in Jesus' ministry amongst his 12 apostles. I'm sending you out two by two because as you go from place to place, there'll be occasions when you'll feel downbeat and discouraged, or at least one of you will. So I'm teaming you up that as you go, you've got a buddy. As you go, you've got someone, yeah, maybe as limited and weak as you are, but actually at the right, at the right time, can step in to lift you up. And then the same is true with, when the other, the other way around. You're encouraging them. Um, you can spur 
uh, one another on. That's what they would need. Authority from God and a friend. Not going it alone, not being a lone ranger. Here's a question then. Did they always get it right? Were they always completely spot on? Well, from this text anyway, I'm not sure that we can actually say. But from what we've seen of the disciples so far, we can think that it's probably unlikely that they did brilliantly in every village. Are we brilliant at something the very first time we do it? The very first time we try? It's more likely that yeah, our confidence might grow, but it will grow over time. Initially, you think, oh, a bit nervous about this, a bit unsure. So they weren't perfect, they weren't outstanding. They weren't experts. In the future, we're going to continue to see that there will be occasions where they still misunderstand, they still make mistakes, mess up. If there is a stick, they'll get the wrong end of it, probably. But in this, they were effective. Verse 12 and 13, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. They weren't outstanding, but they made themselves available. They weren't impressive, they were willing to trust God. They weren't perfect, but I think this demonstrates they were growing. They are listening to Jesus. They're willing to put his teaching into act, action. They're making themselves available. They're learning to trust an invisible God with invisible support. And so they're moving on. So it's a key moment for Jesus, key moment for these 12 people, perhaps also a key moment for us too. Those disciples had been with Jesus for a while now. This logical next step was sending out. Did they feel ready? No. But it was time, nevertheless, to go. We had an interesting uh, prophetic word as a church came via uh, an interesting route. But anyway, the, the, the nub of it was the time of consolidation is over. This is a time of growth and expansion, um, the word said, for us as a church. Um, it's important there's this sense of, yes, as a church, we, we gather. We enjoy doing that. We're good at doing that. But it's not just about gathering, it's about going. Now does that mean, right, quickly everybody, find a map and a pin. And God is calling me to Azerbaijan. Fantastic, I'm going. Because that's the commission, therefore go. Okay, let's go somewhere. Um, well, the emphasis of the commission is go and make disciples. It's almost that as you go, make disciples. And perhaps some are called to go to Azerbaijan. And maybe others are called to go to work. Or go to their neighbourhood. As we go, we're thinking, God is sending me into this situation. I don't have to be perfect and outstanding. But I'm gonna, I want to make myself available in this day, at this time trusting in God's power 
and see what he will do. Let's make it our, um, our aim by faith to emulate these imperfect 12 bods and see what God wants to do as a result. How about we pray and then we've got a bit more time than usual uh, to worship God in response as well. Thank you, Lord God, that in your kingdom you do want to, it is your purpose to release and to send. You weren't merely interested in uh, gathering a crowd, but in releasing and equipping people to serve you out there, from village to village, from place to place, uh, to the ends of the earth and the nations. Um, You would release disciples And I thank you, Father, that we have even greater reason to make ourselves available and to trust you because now you make your presence available by the Holy Spirit who we're hearing like this waterfall over us but also landing uh, in us and flowing through us that we have a God who says, "I'm, I'm with you, I will be with you. In moments as you step out and you begin to speak, I will then give you words. Uh, When you take a step, I will kind of enable you to take more. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you God that we have one who does know what's around the next corner. Who does know what we'll encounter. And who is holding us in his hands. Lord Jesus, you've not called us to live by, by sight, by what we perceive with our own senses, to, to live by our own energy and resources necessarily, but to trust in yours. You're good, you're not cruel. If you send, then we can trust that you'll equip and accompany us. And I thank you, Lord God, you've made us to be part of a, a body of people that whoever we are, whatever our age, whatever our status, whatever kind of occupies us uh, throughout the week, Lord, you've knitted us together that we might know companionship and support and friendship uh, one with another to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so, Father, if you're saying to us as a church the time of consolidating, the time of, if you like, just gathering has kind of come to its conclusion there'll be times of gathering but there's a new emphasis now on on going then Father that's what we're up for Lord I don't feel particularly ready but this reveals you know what's best in terms of timing and you give us all that we need so Father God we're going to trust you we're going to follow you And we're going to learn and grow and become more like you as we go. And maybe our eyes, the eyes of our hearts will be open to understand more that you've given us as we take steps of faith to put into practice what we have already understood. Father God, I pray, come upon us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all the the encouragements recently, different ones about answered prayer, uh, different conversations and sharing faith and, uh, and people being uh, people that we know and care about um, 
being woken to the, to the goodness of God and your good news, Lord Jesus. We pray that that sprinkling of encouragement just become uh, an, a, a, a deluge, if you like, as we take steps, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing together?